Hello, Yeroon. Hello, Dylan. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, curious to hear your thoughts on this topic because I think you have a lot to say. What are What are we talking about? Today we're talking about Elm Review. And uh, the first episode we did was on Elm Pages. That was your uh-huh. baby. Yes. This is my baby. <laughs> yes. I think there will be a lot of words coming from you today. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this. Yes. I'm excited to learn about it. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Elm Review. I believe it used to be called Elm Lint. You had a package called Elm Lint before, and this is like a new incarnation of that. Uh, basically. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time working on it uh, when it was called Elm Lint. And right before publishing it, releasing it, I renamed it Elm Review. So I never really announced it as Elm Lint. Um, I did a talk about it in Elm Paris, the, the meetup, um, in 2017. So it's a very old project. It's dated before Elm Analyze. Uh, but um, it's never been released as Elm Lint officially, mm-hmm. uh, although I did publish some packages um, with that name. So uh, gotcha. if you see those, uh, ignore them. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> okay, can't, cool. I can't publish them, unfortunately. So people are probably familiar with the concept of linting and with linters. So yeah. you want to give you want to give maybe a little bit of the background of of why you chose the term review instead of lint. Uh, Evan came to talk to me about it. <laughs> it's a good reason. Yeah, um, I sent him the link to my blog post before I released it. I was thinking, hey, what what do you think of this? Do you think this is a good idea for the Elm uh, ecosystem? And he said, uh, yeah, I think it's okay. I don't remember exactly the words he said. <laughs> I'm just imagining. Uh, the, the main thing he said to me was like, are you sure you really want to call it Elm Lint? You should use some of those quotes from Evan on like the package documentation site. Just like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't have the quotes anymore because it's on Slack. <laughs> <laughs> that was six months ago, so they're lost forever. Right. But there's this sort of like literal naming concept in the Elm community, right? So Evan was trying to to think about like what like linting, what is linting anyway? What what does your package really do? Yeah, exactly. And I actually didn't know what linting is. I was just calling it lint a linter because that's what people call these kind of tools. Right. So I looked it up a little bit. Uh, because lint was not in my English vocabulary. And it turns out it's removing pieces of dust from clothing. So it's basically cleaning it. And that's kind of what most linters do. They they try to polish your code, make you adapt to a certain code style. And that is not what um, review is about. So I decided to rename it. I had some project names to choose from and Elm Review started to sound good to me. And now I'm very happy with the choice. Yeah, I, I like it a lot too. It it seems very clear and you know, maybe for somebody who's familiar with the term linting, that might seem easy to understand at first. But yeah. but so does review. And to someone who's not familiar with linting, review makes a lot of sense too. Yeah, linting, you have to know the term. Someone needs to have explained to you what the linter is. Right. Uh, but my colleagues still call it a linter. So uh-huh. <laughs> so it, it's hard to to get rid of the name. Like, oh, Elm right. Review. 
Well, it, it's just kind of uh, kind of linter, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, in a way, it is. You, you can do linting with it, but uh, I I aim to make it a bit, something a bit bigger. Right. Okay. So so let's get into that. So let's let's kind of get into a definition of what Elm Review does. What what is it besides this sort of vague notion of a linter? <laughs> what what exactly is it? Yeah. So. Uh, Elm Review is a static analysis tool for Elm written in Elm. So static analysis just means we're going to look at your code and we're going to detect patterns and then do something about it. In our case, we're, gonna, we're going to, to report some patterns that we do not want to stay in the code. Uh, for instance, something that most linters do is say, hey, this variable is not used, remove it or in some languages like JavaScript, remove some features or forbid some features like don't use pattern matching, like um, don't use switch case, don't use go to, things like that. Things that you do not right. want to see in your code. Sometimes it's as simple as just remo- um, forbidding a pattern. Sometimes it's re- forbidding a pattern in a certain context, like don't use switch case with a number, for instance. Right. It's it's an interesting problem of how do you identify, looking at the syntax, statically analyzing the code, how do you identify potential problems or red flags or things that basically could indicate a code smell, right? That you're mm-hmm. kind of trying to detect a code smell and use this automated tool to put it in front of a human being who can look at it and say, oh yeah, th- what do you want to do about this code smell? How do you want to change this? Yeah. So, so maybe... Um, what are some examples that you think are really valuable or some, some cool examples that you've seen? I, I know you've been working with some people on, on some rules they've been building for Elm Review. What are some cool examples? Well, it was mostly me, unfortunately. <laughs> um, well, I know like I saw someone was using it. Maybe this is sort of like a beta testing phase, but somebody was playing around with an RGB rule oh, to see yeah. if something is within a certain range. Yeah, Um Roof, or I don't remember what. Yeah, Roof. Runar. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, he, he built it uh, himself, and then he showed it, and then I gave him some comments. But uh, he did it on his own. Yes. That was pretty cool. So what he did was publish a package which looks at function calls that are called RGB or RGB two fifty five. So th- those are the functions that create colors in Elm UI. This rule just looks at what the arguments are given to it. And then it checks whether those are in the proper boundaries. So for RGB, it checks whether the value is between 0 and 1. Uh, and for RGB 255, between 0 and 255. Because it, what happens if you, do, if you call RGB with minus 1? That doesn't make sense. That would probably be a bug. And we don't want that. And the RGB function is not strict enough to limit the values that, it, that you give it. Do you know if his rule checked that it had to be a literal value rather than a parameter? It only checks for literal values. Right, yeah. right. You, you could try to evaluate the, the variable or function name, uh, function call, but that, that's something that is pretty hard with static analysis. Like at, at some point, it will get very hard, and sometimes it's just too dynamic and you can't say anything about it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's coming from user input and yep. there's no literal value in the code to look at. So why don't you tell us a little bit about 
like let's say we're building this RGB range checker. Mm-hmm. What does that look like writing that with Elm Review? So you said it's it's a review tool that's built in Elm for Elm. Yeah. So how do you build it in Elm? What does that look like? So Elm Review is uh, both a CLI and a package. So the CLI runs the review and shows you the errors. But we've got the a package which gives you some very nice APIs to work with, to, to create rules, what I call a rule with um, other Nitis call that uh, checks or yeah checks or rules. So uh, you, you got a package which creates those rules, and basically, what it works with is an AST, so an abstract syntax tree. And what the, the the package does for you is it lets you visit every node of the tree, and then lets you do something with it. So either report a pattern, like you notice something that is wrong, so you put an an error, and that will be shown to the user or you record some data that you might use for uh, to report errors later or to not report errors later. So basically, uh, when you create a rule, you say, I want to visit this kind of nodes. I want to visit imports. I want to visit expressions. I want to, uh, um, to visit declarations. And based on that, based on what you see in, the, in, in there, you're going to say, hey, this, this does not look good. Report an error. So for instance, if we do the RGB rule, we're going to look at expressions. Specifically, we're going to look at function calls expressions, where the function name is called RGB or RGB255. And then we're going to look at the arguments and see if they are literal integers or literal um, floats. And if they do not match, uh, if they do not fit in the correct range, then report errors. So that's basically what Elm Review allows you to do. Right. And and so to paint a picture for, for people listening, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we said at the top that this is built in pure Elm. You build the rules in pure Elm. Yes. Let's paint a picture a little bit of what that looks like. So um, so you say you, you can visit these different nodes in the AST of your code base. Mm-hmm. So you're going to, you know, have some sort of function that you call to say, I'm defining this rule. And then you, you get a parameter, which is like each node that you're visiting in the AST. Right. Mm-hmm. And and then you're doing like a case statement that says, is this a function call? Is that right? Yeah, basically. And then if it's a function call, then you you get, okay, well, which function is it invoking? Like, what's the module name and the function name? Yes. And then what are the parameters that are being passed? And those parameters are expressions. And then you can check, is the expression of type literal int? Yes. So that's all it is, right? That's all it is. In, in, this, in this one, this, this is simple. <laughs> this is a simple one, right. Yeah. But it you have the full power of doing whatever static code analysis you could imagine through this API. Of, so you're, you're exposing sort of a platform for building your own customized rules. Exactly. And you completely have the power at your fingertips of analyzing the entire AST in pure Elm, which is really, really fun. Yeah, I have a lot of fun running all those rules. <laughs> yeah, so, so may, maybe this is a good time to sort of talk about Elm Analyze and contrast these two approaches. You mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about what distinguishes the, the different like philosophies or approaches of these tools? Yeah. 
So Elm analyzes, uh, at the moment, the de facto standard for uh, static analysis in Elm. So the way it works is it gives you a set of checks, because it calls it checks, but it's the same thing as, a, as what I call a rule. And they are all opt-out, so you get a full set of those to start with. And it just goes through your AST and reports problems. So the thing with Elm Analyze is that you cannot customize those rules, or very, very little. You can disable it, and that's pretty much it. And the idea is that they want to enforce high-quality Elm code. So that's what they, they try to do. So they detect uh, unused uh, variables, unused imports. They detect ways you can simplify your, your expressions, like concatenating two lists. So you, you could, uh, if it's... If they're all literals, then you can just create one uh, list. But in their contribution guidelines, they say that they do not want to be able to customize the rules like they do in ESLint. And that is exactly what Elm Review wants you to do. When I write Elm Review, I want you to be able to customize your rules. I want to, you to create your own rules. Because I think that's where the power of uh, static analysis is. So in the JavaScript uh, world where I come from, uh, you had JSLint, JSHint, and later came ESLint. And the difference between all of these is that ESLint allowed you to create your own custom rules. And that created a whole huge ecosystem of rules, maybe too big in, the, in their case. And they made, they made it the, now the de facto standard. And the, the, re the reason why I think that's important is because the most interesting rules are not about code qualities, the, the ones that you want to make for your own team. One thing you can do is enforce the conventions of your team. In, instead of saying, hey, we have a markdown file here that uh, explains how we structure our Elm code, just enforce it. So you can cre uh, create an Elm review rule that does exactly what that guideline would say. And maybe with some autofixes or very helpful error messages that tell you, hey, uh, we do not do this this way in our project because this and that reason. You should try this and that to, to make it work the way we want to. Right. So I've had the experience with Elm Analyze. It's, you know, there, I've gotten a lot of value from throwing that into projects before, mm -hmm. but... Also, I've found that sometimes the rules don't do like exactly what I want. So like one example of that is, I, I can't remember if it's like un, unused symbols or something like that. But sometimes I'll find I'll import something. What I basically want is I want to import something the same way every time I use it. So if mm -hmm. I say import dict exposing dict, or if I say like import html.attributes as adder. Yeah exposing attribute. I'm not sure if attribute is in html.attributes. No, it I can't isn't. remember if in my head, but I guess it's in html. But but yes. you get the idea, right? You see, mm -hmm. like I always every time I import html, I want to expose attributes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I might not use it in a particular file, but I want it to be exposed for when I do use it. I just that's just what I want. I want my hmm. import html exposing attributes to look the same in every single module. Yeah. So this unused symbol rule doesn't quite get that. And I'm like, no, this is how I want this code to look. And so th there'll be this sort of mix of some things that it finds that I'm like, oh, good catch. I, 
I don't want to be doing that. And then mm-hmm. there are some places where it's just pestering me about something that I'd like to be able to tell it exactly what I want it to do. Yes. So I guess that's your, your, your thinking here is that I can teach it the way that I want to write my import statements. Yeah, you, you definitely could. Um, I also think there are plenty, plenty of cases where you do not want to enforce something. So maybe you do not want a rule for that. Just tell people what to do. Uh, because the thing is, what I notice is that a lot of times when you enforce something that people don't like, they will try to disable it. Like in ESLint, they do that with a comment. You will see disabling comments all over the place. Or they will try to find a workaround, which often makes the things worse. So in, in this case, I think it would be fine. Yeah, that makes sense. I've had this thought before, actually, if I could go down this path a little bit more of this particular idea of like having a standardized way of importing things. Mm-hmm. I've thought it would be cool if there was like a configurable way to say, okay, this is how I import HTML.attributes. Like yeah. I always want, if I import that at all, then mm-hmm. I want it to be import HTML.attributes as adder. Yeah. Because I don't want to have it like in some places it's imported as HTML.attributes and some places it's as adder. And and that can be confusing sometimes because you're going back and forth between different modules in your code base and they're imported different ways. It, it becomes confusing. And so... I've thought it would be cool if there was a way of enforcing in the entire code base, here's a certain set of import statements that should be aliased. You should import as this. Mm -hmm. And you should always expose this in addition to whatever other specific things perhaps you expose or, or maybe you want to enforce that or whatever. But that seems like something that could be an interesting tool. And, and since it's just Elm code, Mm -hmm. So since the rules are just Elm, pure Elm code, you could make it configurable by passing in your specific configuration and saying, these are my imports, these are the module names, and these are what I expect them to be alias to. So I could imagine that could be a pretty cool rule that you could share with people and let them define their own list of import aliases. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was actually thinking of doing that at my workplace. Oh, cool. Like, for instance, uh, sometimes we import JSON encode as E, and sometimes as encode, and sometimes without an alias, and I think it would be just nicer to to enforce having the same one everywhere. Very cool. So is there a way currently in Elm Review to to apply fixes? I think there might be some functionality like that. Is that right? Yeah, there is. So in Elm Review V1, you you can only apply fixes one by one. So you tell the CLI to apply fixes and it will prompt you with, uh, hey, this is the error. This is my suggestion. Do you want to accept it? Do you not? And then if you do, then it gets it fixes. It applies Elm format all the time. That's a design choice. Uh, I want people to use Elm formats. That might be wrong, but mm-hmm. my choice. Um, and in Elm Review V2, you also have a fix all. So you can just fix all the errors and then have a giant diff and a prompt. Is it the errors of a particular type or just all errors? All the errors that provide a, a fix. Okay. And that is not something you always want to to do. Uh, mm-hmm. That is something I've detailed in my documentation. You basically want it when it's... You can fix it always when you know how to do a proper fix and when it's it doesn't bring anything to the user and it will not surprise him. 
Right. So do you think that would be a reasonable place to apply that rule to say, hey, if you're importing json.encode mm-hmm. as e, actually the way we do that is encode. Would yep. that be a reasonable place to apply an automated rule perhaps in a code base? Well, uh, yeah, it would. But the thing is, you would need to change every call to e.something to encode. So if you do that, then it's all good to me. So you, and could you do that? Yeah, I think you could. Because you get access to the syntax tree and you can define a way to transform that syntax tree and it will output that as the fix? Uh, No, the the fix is a bit uh, lower primitive. Uh, You basically just play with ranges. So remove characters, insert characters, or replace characters. Interesting. Or with a range, like start and with a row in a column. Yeah, I, I could have chosen to do it with an AST, but that would have been more complicated and that hasn't been my focus yet. Right. Maybe we could do it, but it, it, it does mm-hmm. make a lot of things much harder. So I think it's nice to have yeah. at least this primitive. Hmm. And f- for now, it's it's worked all right. So I haven't mm-hmm. needed to do anything harder. And basically everywhere you see E dot something, and you know that it's the E module, not something else that ends with an E. Uh, you replace it with an encode dot, for instance. And that would be it. Right. Yeah, that seems that seems pretty doable. Very cool. So uh, if somebody wants to get started with this, how do they dive in? Uh, to get started with Elm Review, you basically want to add a review configuration to your project. So as I mentioned before, there is a CLI. So you do Elm Review in it, and it will create a new application inside your project. We do that so that the review codes, your your rules, and the review dependencies, so all the packages that contain rules that you might want to add to your configuration, that they're separate from your package or application. So the init creates the project, so an Elm JSON and a review config.elm file. The, that one comes empty. By default, there are no rules enforced. That's also a design choice that I made. I don't want to enforce best practices because I don't feel like I should tell people what to do. So it comes empty. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is either you add packages that contain rules and use the rules that are in there and you add them to review config or you write your own rules and you add them to your review config. So yeah, I would start out with Elm review in it and then adding some packages that uh, like I wrote. For instance, the ones that remove unused things or um, do a lot of simplifications. Right, and and just to um, just to make it clear what you're what you're saying is when you do Elm review init, and you say it creates a separate app, it's just creating a subdirectory, which the CLI is going to go into that subdirectory, that review subdirectory or or whatever it's called. Yes. And it's going to use the source folder in that directory, which is just an Elm code base. Mm-hmm. It has an Elm.json, which lists the dependencies for running the review rules. Yeah. Which are independent of the dependencies for the main Elm project that it's running the rules on. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. And then you've just got another Elm code base within your main Elm app for running the rules. Uh, no, you, uh, that you don't. That's what the CLI does. So every time you run Elm Review, right. it creates a new application. It compiles uh, an application with your code, with your dependencies, and then it runs that one. Right, right. But you you have this sort of 
folder that defines all of your rules in pure element. You don't have to worry about the specifics of visiting the files and, and those details. The CLI takes care of that for you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. You have, you have very little things to do on your own. Like right. Even just writing your own rules, there, a lot of complexity has been removed for you. So is there a good starting point to sort of copy paste as a starting point to play around with creating your own rules? Uh, not right now. I'm probably going to do something before I release V2 because at the time that we record this, it has not been released yet. Uh, hopefully in the next few days. So hopefully by the time you listen to this episode, yeah, I'm probably going to make something to make it easy for people to copy paste because that's uh, what people tell me a lot. They, they don't want to think about which rules to enable. They just want to copy paste something, which I do not think is great. But as long as they stay critical of the uh, review rules, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, you could have some sort of commented out set of possibilities so people can see what the options are as a starting point. And, but so if, if you want to define a custom rule, mm-hmm. sometimes that can be intimidating to figure out just like the wiring for creating a custom rule. But I guess it's just calling a single function and then that creates a, a rule value. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So uh, I've got a lot of examples in the documentation. So you, you basically can just copy paste an example and add it to your review project, your view, review application. Awesome. And add it to your review config and that's it. So, so basically, if someone wanted to try out writing their own rule, they should go to the project's readme and mm-hmm. then find an example rule and they can copy paste that to play around with it. Yeah. Well, cool. to the review rule uh, module, but yeah, basically. Right, right. They should create a self-contained module for their rules just as a good practice of abstracting things away. Yeah, I would always put it in a different module. Yeah. One rule, one module. Right. Nice. Well, are there are there any other resources that people should know about for getting started? Um, I would probably say just the, the blog post about uh, releasing version one and version two. Yeah, that would be it for if you want to get started. Wonderful. So uh, I released Unreview version one uh, about six months ago, and I'm ready to release V2. And there's something that I really, really wanted to get out, and I'm very happy that I got something pretty cool with it. It's the ability to look at whole projects for when you analyze your project, uh, your code. So in most static analysis tools like Elm Analyze and ESLint, whenever you look you look, go through the AST. So you, you do it one file by one file. So when you look at module A, you go through the whole file, you report some errors. And then when you're done, you go through mo- to module B. And then you forget, uh, at that point, you forget everything about module A, even if that was interesting to you. So if module B imports module A, you do not know what happens in A. So you lose a lot of information. And and that is a shame because there's a lot of interesting information that you can get there, especially in Elm. Uh, in JavaScript with ESLint, that would be useful too, but sometimes it's just too complex to analyze. When you don't have type signatures helping you navigate through it, it's too much to manage. Yeah, exactly. And Handling all those details, yeah. Yeah, and espe- especially when things are too dynamic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's when you, you just lo- right. abandon hope. Because Elm is a static language, it's not just statically typed, it's a static language. Yes. So you know, when you hit compile, you know the functions that will exist, you know the top level values and functions that you'll be working with, 
Mm -hmm. And you can't just eval something and then something comes into existence (laughs) at the global scope. Yeah. And that makes it really, really nice to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, As as someone who wrote a lot of ESLint rules, that was a pain. It was very frustrating to say, oh, well, Mm -hmm. in this case, we we really can't know. Just, well. But with this version, uh, what I introduce is what I call project rules, uh, which can look at the whole project. So when you have finished visiting A, you can keep some information, the information that you want. And then when you start to read, uh, going through module B, then you can use the information from module A. So would, would that be sort of like the difference between like a map or a fold, where if you map, then you have to say, okay, take this value and turn it into a new value, whereas a fold you get to keep track of this accumulator where you can store some running value that you get every time you visit a new thing and you can add additional context into that? Yes. Yes. That's a... <laughs> if you're very familiar with maps and folds, yes, that's exactly <laughs> how you can view this. Uh, that was probably my uh, initial implementation, a map, and now it's a fold. That is true. Mm-hmm. So th- what, what that opens up to is like detecting unused variables or unused exports uh, everywhere. So if module A exposes a function, well, with when you can only look at one file at a time, you can't ever tell whether it's used or not. You can't tell the user, hey, this is never used. With what I call project tools, you can. You, you just go through the whole project and, oh, well, it's never used. Okay, remove it, report it. And that opens just a whole lot of possibilities. Yeah. Th- this is actually the reason why I didn't promote Arm Review too much during these last six months. Because every time I was thinking of a very cool rule to demonstrate what you could do with Arm Review, I was like, yeah, but as soon as you need to get a value from another module or you expose things, well, you, you, you can't tell. Right. So one example is, for instance, you know the problem where you have a list of all the custom types of a type? Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. custom type is A, B, or C, you want a list with A, B, and C for testing yes. purposes or things like that. The solution people usually go for is having a type check reminder, like a, a, a case um, a case off, which lists uh, all the cases, which that does nothing. But with a comment that says, hey, now you should add it to the list below. Well, with M review you can just say, hey, we know all the custom type constructors and in this list, there are some missing ones. Report it. Mm-hmm. I think that's very cool. But if the type was defined in a different module, then you you can't tell anything. Mm-hmm. Now you can. That's why it was, uh, I was not promoting it. Yeah, that makes sense. It opens up a lot more use cases, I can imagine. Just having that contextual ability to define rules that have context. Yeah. that they carry with them. So, okay, th- this is perhaps a tangent, but that <laughs> makes me think of, would it be possible to define a rule that auto-fixes, that has an automated fix where you can say, if you have an enum, where an enum is you know, just a custom type that has no parameters for the type. So you have mm-hmm. you know, a fruit is an apple or an orange or a banana. Could you have an auto-fix that says, a module that has that, maybe there's a certain naming convention for the custom type or something that it's like mm-hmm. enum fruit or something. And then that module must define 
a two string and a from string and maybe an all list which has all of the all of those enums mm-hmm. could you define an elm review rule that checks that those two string from string and all values and functions are defined and if they're not defined creates them for you you could definitely do one that checks for them uh an auto fix yeah, I guess you could. You just have to handle the case where the functions already exist because you don't. You probably don't want to override them. Yeah, you could. Hmm. Um, yeah. Because that could be pretty powerful because at that point, you have a guarantee that um, if you, in your build pipeline, run Elm review before you do a production build, then you can almost consider it a, a piece of the pipeline just like the Elm compiler, where, you know, if you if you have something where your types make impossible states impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Then you don't have to check all over the place that you're enforcing those constraints because you've done it with a type. And the Elm compiler will catch it so your your production code won't go live with those impossible states. Yeah. And so if you have your Elm review rule and the Elm review checks as part of your production build, where the production build will not go live unless these constraints are met, then you could guarantee that these enum values will always be up to date, which is kind of cool. You could just build a review rule that just um, sort of extends the guarantees of the Elm compiler in a way. Yeah, that's that's the whole point of a lot of rules that you can do with them. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm not not sure whether that example would be fitting because how would you implement the two-string like what what name do you give to the banana to the apple? Would it be uppercase? Like and that's not those are not choices that you want Elm Review to do for you. So well, I, but I could do it in my code base, and I could just have that be my custom rule that I I define that right. Yeah, if you have something very organized and you exactly mm-hmm. know exactly how to fix it, sure, go ahead. Right. Yeah, it seems like you could make some conventions like that. I'm also thinking about, I mean, Elm Review gives you this, essentially an Elm project that you you can run the CLI against this source code for your Elm Review rules. And I'm thinking like, it could be interesting to ship this as a part of other tools. Like for example, Elm GraphQL has, um, you know, it, it does this code generation. Like there's a feature in Elm GraphQL that, I've had a really hard time getting the developer experience that I want for this feature. Mm-hmm. The feature is custom scalers. And I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a really strong feature. Actually, I don't I don't think there are any other GraphQL tools out there that have this feature. Which is but I still feel like the developer experience could be a lot stronger. So the feature in a nutshell is you can take a custom scaler. For example, like a date time or a currency value, you know, money. And you could say, well, if you have this custom scaler on the server, if there's something of type money in this GraphQL API, then when you get money, use this decoder to get the money and then use this encoder to encode the money. And so it's just automatically going to apply a decoder. And if the decoder fails, so so for example, you could parse a date time using an ISO 8601 decoder. Mm-hmm. And your GraphQL request will fail if that constraint isn't met. Because a, a custom scaler in GraphQL represents some guarantees about that data. You know, So like 
if a GraphQL server is serializing something in a date time format, then it's it's giving you a promise that I will serialize it in the ISO 8601 format, which means I can make that assumption when I decode the data. So Elm GraphQL gives you this ability to just say, for this type of custom scaler, decode it using this set of assumptions, which turns out to be a really nice way to, to work with, with code to put those constraints into a single module where you define, this is how I deal with my custom scalers. So anyway, I haven't been perfectly happy with the developer experience because what you need to do is you need to like expose a certain set of types or type aliases that you define in your custom codex module. And then you need to define a custom encoder and decoder for each of those. And I kind of compile the code and it gives you these errors, which are a little bit confusing if you did it wrong. But I'm thinking, what if I had an Elm review rule and packaged that as part of the Elm GraphQL command line interface? Yeah. Run Elm review and I could have an, an improved developer experience where I can look at it. And I have the syntax tree for that custom codex file, and I can basically get as fine-grained as I want rather than relying on the Elm compiler to give me sort of some general messages. I can give some more precise messages, and I can give the messages in the language that makes sense for the Elm GraphQL CLI. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You actually wouldn't necessarily need the CLI, uh, the Elm Review CLI, because you could simply use the Elm Review package you would have to do the wiring yourself. Yes. But that, you could use it to do something like that. Yeah, definitely. Interesting, interesting. I love the idea of having it be, rather than, you know, like you said, JS Hint or these other tools in the JS ecosystem that say, here are the rules. This is how you should write JavaScript. <laughs> right, right. This is it, having it be a platform that's extensible and, and gives you the tools to look at the AST Mm -hmm. and do your own static analysis. It's kind of interesting because like, so one of, one of the best features of Elm format is that it's a zero configuration formatter, right? Yeah. So you don't have these constant arguments in different Elm code bases about should it be two spaces or four spaces? Should it be a trailing comma or a leading comma? actually don't know if it's two or four spaces. I don't care. Uh, four. four. But exactly. Yeah. We don't care, right? And that's a that's a feature. Yeah. So exactly. how do you see this as different? Like, why do you think that it's the right choice to put the power and the configurability in the user's hands in this instance, even though this is such a strong feature with Elm format to have zero configuration? What's What, what makes that different, do you think? I don't think it's right to compare it to Elm format. I would more compared to types in a way. Like in, mm-hmm. in Elm, you've got types, you've got booleans, strings, numbers, etc. But that's not where Elm's power comes from. The power of Elm comes from custom types. So you types that you tailor to your own need, so to your own business needs. So if you want to build a user, you build your own user type, which has this and that uh, fields. And it wouldn't make sense to only use the built-in types for uh, that Elm provides you. And I think that's kind of the same thing with the Elm review. Sure, you have um, a set of rules that tell you how your code should look like. You remove unused variables, do things this way, which is nicer. Do not import everything from a module, things like that. But a lot of times, 
you really want to have something tailor-made to your needs. Right. So for instance, if you want to limit how your application works, you, you've got uh, domains, you've got, um, let, let's say you have a whole section of your project which deals with uh, how you fetch data, how you interact with GraphQL, and another one that deals with business logic. And you do not want to link those two. You want you don't want to, mm-hmm. to have the one input to the other. Then that is something very custom to your needs, to your application, to how you built your projects. Same thing with uh, Elm conventions. Every team has coding conventions. If they do not, they will soon. <laughs> and I think, yeah, it, make, it makes sense to have customizable. Right. So, okay. So it seems like the way you're talking about Elm Review, it seems to me that you look at it as fundamentally different than just a, a linter in a way, because mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about it like this is not just a way of enforcing standardized code conventions. Yes, it is not. <laughs> it is a way of enforcing constraints about your code. So it, it almost sounds like you're talking about it like an extension of the Elm type system as a way to to catch certain constraints that you can't encode with the Elm type system by itself. Exactly. The The way I see it is if Elm, the Elm compiler is your assistant, Elm review is your second assistant. And incidentally, Elm review can do linting, but that's not all that it can do. It can be much more, I think. So if, if I had a review rule for regex, you know how, you know, with the latest API for, for regex in Elm, mm-hmm. you do regex.fromString, and then you have to pipe that through uh, maybe dot with default regex dot never. Yeah, that's how, pe- how people usually do it. Yeah. The older Elm API had this bug in it that you could have a runtime exception if you passed in an invalid regex. And so, okay, that's nice. It returns a maybe if there's something wrong with it. But you only know this later. Maybe, right. So having a maybe there just feels like the kind of thing that we should, we want to know more. At if we can't know it at compile time, can we know it at build time? Can we know it as a build step that analyzes our code, static analysis, right? Mm-hmm. And in a way, the Elm compiler is just a type of sta- static analysis tool. So in a way, it's not really any different. It's the same stage. It's like a compile time check. It's just another tool to run alongside the Elm compiler. Yeah. So could you do something that, I mean, it seems like you could pretty easily just yeah. write a review rule that checks when you do string, and then you look for instances of that in the AST, in your review rule, mm-hmm. and then you say, okay, if it's a string literal, then take that string, call string with that string, yeah, and then case just, okay, good, you succeeded, nothing, hey, your regex is invalid, and then you know that you will never have a regex that doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I do plan on on, uh, publishing a package that that does that. (laughs) Nice. So this is like a bigger topic than just reviewing your code styles. It's looking at, I mean, when you're able to look at the literals in the code base, Mm -hmm. then you can make certain guarantees that you can't with the type system alone. You could even have like a positive integer type and you could say oh i can say positive integer dot from literal and if i call that my elm review rule will fail if i call it with anything but a literal 
or if I call it with a literal that is negative. Yeah, I was going to say that. You just stole it from me. <laughs> I was going to say it about the regex. You could have a create regex function that, yeah, it needs to be passed a literal, which is not something that you can enforce in Elm with a compiler. Yes. But yeah, force it to be a literal and a literal that is a correct, a correct regex. I mean, this, sound, this sounds like a rabbit hole. <laughs> That's why I've been spending nine months on this project. <laughs> this sounds like a rabbit hole that we could do like a whole another discussion on where, yes, I mean, how do you use Elm Review to do dependent types? Wouldn't that be, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't that be an attention grabbing headline? Dependent types in Elm. That sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Thanks for sharing this. This is super interesting and I'm looking forward to discussing it more in the future. Yeah, me too. Um, so if, if people want to know more about it, so just read the, the blog posts on my website and there's an um, Elm Review channel. So Elm-Review uh, yes. on, on the Elm Slack. Um, come talk to me, come talk to us in the, in the Slack. And I really hope you enjoy it. Give me any feedback you have, uh, even positive that, that's helpful for me. <laughs> And let us let us know what you build with it because it's always oh, helpful yes. to see what people are actually building with it, and it's great for other people to to see examples of what people are doing to get inspiration. Definitely, yeah, that, that would be awesome. Yeah, great. Well, thanks as always, Jeroen. This was this was a lot of fun, and talk to yeah. you next time. Yeah, talk to you next time.